Amen. Let's give him a clap off in church. Amen. 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 Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this time of worship. And Father, now as we've worshiped you in spirit and truth, we've partaken of the Lord's Supper. Now, Father, we get to feast on your word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates our souls. Lord, do that this morning in our hearts. This is going to be an awesome morning because this is the day of the Lord and we're going to enjoy it to the max by studying your word. And then we're going to have some food later on. So Lord, bless this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So turn your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to make it through more than one verse this morning. We're actually going to make it through about six verses. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 verses 23 through 29. And let me tell you. What this world needs more than anything are servants. Servants of the Most High God. But anyway, this world, we, what we need more than anything is we need servants. So this morning we are looking at Moses, the blueprint of a servant. Um, Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 summarizes the life of Moses well. You know, there's a lot written about Moses. And he's, he's the, Jesus is the greatest figure in the Bible, the Son of God. Number two is Moses. But Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 says this about Moses, talking about his life. It says, Moses was God's servant, faithful in all of God's house. I don't know about you. That's my heart cry. That's my heart cry. I'm a pastor of a church, but... I'm still learning today how to become more and more of a servant to the body of Christ. You know, pastors and leaders, we're not the CEO, we're not the big boss, we're not the big kahuna on the hill. We are a servant. And our job is to serve you, serve the body of Christ, to, 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 to build you up. And a servant is one who sets aside his own desires his own dreams and his own goals and takes on the goals and dreams of his master. And this is God's plan for every believer that we set aside our dreams, our visions, and we set aside our plans and we take on those of our master above. Doesn't mean we don't go out and live our life. We still have to live, work a full-time job and we still have to provide for our family and live life. But our ultimate goal in life is to, um, is to please the Lord. And, and to be used mightily by God. I don't know about you, but I want, to, I want to be used mightily by the Lord in my life. How about you? How about you? Do you want to be used mightily by, by the Lord in the life of your children, in the life of your spouse, in the life of your community, in the life of your church? God can do it. As that song that Blake led us in, God is able. God is able. And God uses servants. And the servant that we're looking at this morning, God uses him to lead Israel out of Egypt. God uses Moses to give us the moral law, the Ten Commandments. He used him great and mightily. So without further ado, let's, uh, as we do Calvary Chapel style, verse by verse, and this morning we're studying Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Let's take a look at Hebrews 11:23, looking at the servant Moses and his faith. Hebrews 11:23 says, "By faith Moses, when he was born, 
was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edicts. Now, verse 23 is not talking about Moses' faith. Whose faith is verse 23 talking about? It's talking about his parents. It's talking about his parents. So this is the first element uh, in the blueprint of a servant, and that is the upbringing, the, the, the faith of Moses' parents. If you go back and read Exodus, his parents were Amran and Jochebed. And in verse 23 gives us three principles I want you to see this morning in Moses' upbringing. And, and uh, these three principles we can apply to our lives today. We can look at, look at them after the fact of how do they apply in 2020. And the, the first element, the first thing it says there in verse 23 is it says they hid Moses for three months. What's up with that? Well, you, you got to go back and study Exodus. You got to go back and look at what happened. But basically what happened there in, in Exodus was that the, uh, the king of Egypt ordered all male children to be put to death. We call that infanticide. He ordered the midwives to kill the babies and for them to be thrown into the Nile River. But I'm here and I'm thankful to report the scripture says the midwives did not obey that order. They did not obey that order to kill the little children, to kill the babies. The same thing, something very similar happens in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 2, um, Herod, in an attempt to murder baby Jesus, he, he, he sends his, his, his legions to go throughout Bethlehem and to kill all the babies under two years of age. Family, I'm just here to say to you that, family, folks, God is not in to killing children. God is not into killing children, to killing the unborn. It's a very dark day when a nation kills the most vulnerable. And it, t it shows us how far we've fallen, how far our civilization has fallen from God and from his word. Every life is precious. Every life is created in the image of God. And it starts in the womb. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, Isaiah chapter 44 verse 2, Isaiah 44 24, Psalms 71 verse 6, Galatians chapter 1 verse 15. All those verses I just quoted to you says that God forms children in the womb. And infanticide and abortion is evil and God hates it. God hates it. And you and I as church, as the church, as ambassadors for Christ here on this earth, you and I are called to be the voice of the unborn because they cannot be heard. It's just that simple. It's just that cut and dry that we are called to be their voice, be, be their voice and, to, and to represent them and be that voice because their voice cannot be heard. But, it, but going back to the faith of, of, of Moses' parents, they, 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 they hid Moses. And in verse 23, it gives us more insight into what has taken place there. In verse 23, if you look at it, it also says they saw he was a beautiful child. They saw that he was a beautiful child. Now, what, what, what's the deal with that? Oh, look at this precious little baby. He is so pretty. Let me squeeze his cheeks. We do that with every single baby. And every single baby that comes into this world, 
we want to squeeze their cheeks and talk about how beautiful they are. Is that what is being talked about in this passage? No, it's not. Because in Acts chapter 7, verse 20 to be exact, gives us insight into this beautiful child. Acts chapter 7, verse 20 says, It was at this time that Moses was born. Here it is, guys. He was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured for three months in his father's home. So here you have Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, and Acts chapter 7, verse 20 for your notes to go back and study. It's, it's talking about Moses being beautiful. And what's going on is God is revealing to Moses' parent that this is a special child and that God has a plan and a purpose for this little baby Moses. You know, God had a special plan for him. And here, my friends, I'm, I'm here to announce to you that God has a special plan for all children and for all life. God has a special and unique plan for your life, for your life. This unique and separate and different from other people's lives. He has a plan for each and every life. Jeremiah 29, 11, most half of the half of the believers, I know this is their life verse. But Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for all people. All people. And that plan is simply, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give it four steps. The first plan that God has for all people is that they repent. That they repent and they turn from their sins. That's, that's required for salvation. That you turn away from the old life. That you turn away from Egypt. Let's repent. The next part is believe. God calls all men and women and everywhere his special plan is for them to believe. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. What does it mean to believe? It means that you trust in the cross for your salvation. You trust in his death and his death alone to forgive you of your sins. You believe and trust in his resurrection from the dead. He sealed the deal. The father raised him from the grave. And we believe that with all of our hearts. So repent, believe, and then receive, receive. The, the Bible says that to those that received him, he gave the right to become children of God. What's up with that receive? It's where you come to a point. And all these things happen together in salvation. You know, I, you know they repent, they believe, they receive. They, they ask for forgiveness, they turn from their sin, they put their trust in Christ. And then it says that they receive. They come to a point where they say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. And the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives and dwells inside of you. And then... Once you get that right, you got everything right, by the way. Um, then you follow his plan and his purpose for your life. Now, Jer I know Jeremiah 29, 11 was written to the nation of Israel when they were coming out of captivity and they were going back to the promised land. But the principle applies to us. The principle applies to us that he has a plan and a purpose for all people. That all people are unique. All, all people are special in God's eyes. And uh, disability or something that's wrong with them does not disqualify them or take them out of God's plan. They are unique and they are special just the way they are. Amen? Amen. Amen. The third thing I want you to see in verse 23, I know we're, we're, sitting, we're parked here on verse 23 for a little bit, but this is very important. But if you look at verse, uh, Hebrews eleven twenty-three, 
it says that his parents were what? They were not afraid of the king's edicts. They were not afraid. And they were committed to raising Moses according to God's truth. That, my friend, is huge for 2020. That's huge because raising children today can be incredibly difficult and can be incredibly challenging. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, cool, cool. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Mom, dads, our job is to raise our children and to, number one, teach them God's truth. Teach them the Word of God. Saturate their souls with Scripture. Pray for them. Nurture them. Feed them the Word of God. And let them know what God's truth is. We have to implant it into their hearts. And here in the text, you have uh, Egypt, the king, trying to impose his morals and his belief and the way he thinks should be done onto the parents. And Moses' parents said, "Uh uh-uh. Government, that is not your job. It is my job to raise my children. You stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. When a government dictates to us something that is contrary to the word of God, you and I are like Moses' parents, and we do not fear the king's edicts. We teach our children God's truth. And when the government says, talking about infanticide here and killing the babies, in the context of the scripture, when the government says it's okay to abort a baby, or as one governor recently said, to comfort them and leave them on the table to die, we say that that is wrong. That is wrong. That is evil. Because that little baby has a plan and a purpose. And you and I, again, we're not afraid. Just like Moses' parents, this is something we can learn this morning. We're not afraid of the government. We're not afraid of the edicts. We do it according to the word of God. Period. End of story. Verse 24. Verse 24, we're going to look at the, uh, the, the, the first element in, in, in this learning to be a servant is, is, was his upbringing. So upbringing is very important. Kids, listen to your mom and dad. They, they got good stuff for you. They, they want to help you in life. You know, I can say this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Every single, to every single child, and I can say this to you adults concerning your parents, your greatest fans in life is guess who? Mom and dad. Nobody wants Emily and Daniel to succeed more in life than who? Me and Irene. We're their greatest fans. And and we love them. And we're very thankful for them. And um, I I didn't lost my train of thought here. Oh, we're looking at identity. Looking at identity starting with verse um, 24. Let's look at verse 24 and 25 together. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Oh, here's my word, identity, identity. Here in these two verses that we're looking at, Moses found his identity in the kingdom of God. He found his identity with the Hebrew people that were down below in the land of Goshen there in Egypt, uh, being subservient to the Egyptians in, in a form of slavery. And Moses says, I'm not identifying with Pharaoh. I'm not identifying with Egypt. 
I'm identifying with my roots, with my people that are down there in slavery. Um, his, Moses' name is Egyptian. You need to understand that. The name Moses is not Hebrew. The name Moses is Egyptian. Other well-known Egyptian names are Amos, Thutmose, and now Moses. So do you see? There's nothing wrong with those names. I'm not, I'm not going not to call that down or, nothing or say that. But, but his name, Moses' name in and of itself was Egyptian. Because he was raised by who? By Pharaoh's daughter. So you need to understand that he was heavily influenced by the Egyptian culture. But what had been placed in his parents' heart? What had been placed in his soul by his mom and dad in those early years that they hid him stayed the course. It held him true to his faith and to his, to his, um, his Hebrew roots. And instead of enjoying this Egyptian name and living in Pharaoh's house, Moses chose the people of God. Moses chose God's way and God's truth. Here it is, guys. Moses' identity was in the Lord. That's where our identity is. That's where God is calling you this morning. Where do you, I, I don't, don't answer out loud, don't raise your hand. You ponder it in your heart. Where is your identity in this life? Where, how do you identify yourself in the world that you live in? Do you, do you identify yourself by your accomplishments? Some people do. Some people identify themselves by their name. I am a Ford. People like to ask me, are you related to Harrison Ford? No, I wish. You related to Henry Ford? No, I wish. But people identify themselves by their name, by famous last names. You know what I'm saying? Do people, some people identify themselves by their politics. You know? But you and I, Christian, we identify ourselves not by our politics, not by our name, not by our accomplishments, but we identify ourselves as a, you ready for this? Big theological word, Christian. A Christian, we're followers of Jesus. We identify ourselves with Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God who suffered and died on the cross and, and rose from the grave. When you identify with Christ, and his word, can't separate them. When you identify with Jesus Christ and his word, uh, he guides, it guides your morals, your beliefs, and your values. And let me just say right there at that moment, that's the crucible of the Christian faith. That's the crucible of the Christian faith. In other words, what I mean by that is when you come to Christ, we lay aside our presuppositions, our own values, our own beliefs, our own morals, and all the stuff that we believed and held to before we came to Christ. We lay those down and we pick up the morals and values and beliefs of his word. That's what it means to identify with Christ, is that your morals and your values and your beliefs align with him and his holy scripture and his word. That's what it means to identify. And that's the crucible. And sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes when a person comes to Christ, man, things have to be unwired. Things have to be undone. Things have to be rebuilt. 
But that's okay, because God can do that. But that's what happens when we become a Christian. You know, we, we start building our lives on the morals and the values and the beliefs of the Bible. That is when we identify with Christ. And I also want you to notice, look at verse 25, something that grabbed me this week as I was preparing to teach this. At the end of verse 25, notice what Moses does. He passes. He passes on the pleasures of sin. Can I just stop right there and say sin is pleasurable? You know, before I came to Christ, I enjoyed my sin. I loved it. I lived for it. I couldn't wait to dive into it. Uh, there was, I, was, I, was not a, uh, I, I was not empty on the inside and having a God-shaped hole in my heart. And, and, but I, was, I loved my sin. It filled my heart. I don't have a God-shaped hole. I didn't have a God-shaped hole in my heart. I had a sin-filled heart that loved it. But it wasn't until I understood the law that God had a moral law. I had broken that law and that Jesus paid the fine to forgive me. Then all of a sudden my eyes were open. I was like, oh, this is not good. This is evil and I got to run from it. I got to find a way to be forgiven. And that's what Jesus did for us at the cross. But, but, but what's sin is, is, is pleasurable, but it will rob you and rot you from the inside out. See, that's where sin starts. Sin starts in our heart with desire. It starts on the inside. And then slowly over time, after it takes over our heart, it works its way out into our life. That's why the Bible encourages us and challenges us to guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart, protect your heart, fill your heart with the word of God so that the deceitfulness of sin and, and it's rot will not come in. Family, I've been serving the Lord since 92, whatever that is, 26, 27 years. I've witnessed a lot of believers in my life. I've witnessed people that were on fire. I've witnessed people that were lukewarm. I've witnessed solid believers. I've witnessed unsolid believers. But I've, I've, I've witnessed believers who have refused to repent. And what I have witnessed with my eyes is over time, their heart becomes hard. Their heart becomes hard. And slowly over time, it's a slow fade, it's a slow evolution. But over time, their life becomes filled with darkness. And what we've got to do, you and I have got to do to protect ourselves from getting to that point, is we've got to guard our heart. We've got to guard our heart with the word of God. And we've got to protect ourselves. There is a real spiritual battle in the heavenlies that's taking place for your soul, for your mind, and for your heart. And buddy, sir, ma'am, family, you gotta guard it. You gotta guard what God is doing in your life because Satan will come and steal, kill, and destroy. So let's do that. Let's guard our hearts. Let's fight the good fight, as uh, 1 Timothy 6.12 says. All right, let's continue looking at Moses. So, so there, the, the second element, uh, the first element was uh, his upbringing, Moses' upbringing by his parents. The second element we just looked at and we talked about in our lives is our identity. The third element is um, 
Moses' reward. Moses' reward. Look at verse 26. It says, Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Simply put, my man Moses here, he lived with an eternal perspective. He lived with an, e- an eternal perspective. What does it mean to live with an eternal perspective? It means your eyes are on the prize. Your eyes are on the prize. Who, who is the prize? None other than Jesus himself. That day you stand before him in glory, and he says, well done, that good and faithful servant. That's our aim. That's our goal. Now, we want to be successful in life. We want to do great things for the Lord here on, the, on this earth and, and, and do the right thing and raise families and live life. But ultimately, that's the big goal. That is our ultimate goal in life above all other, is to, for him to be our reward. So Moses lives with an eternal perspective. His eyes are on the prize. Or, or how else could he do what he did with taking uh, Israel out of Egypt, heading to the promised land. When you look at verse 26, Moses, basically, Moses would rather suffer. He would rather suffer for his namesake, God's namesake, than be ex- and be accepted by God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin and being accepted by the world. He says, man, I, I, I'll go with the reproach of Christ. I'll go with the humiliation and the suffering that they're going to experience in the desert and be accepted by God rather than live in the pleasures of sin and in the palace of Egypt. That's a servant, guys. That's a servant to choose life in the desert with the children of God where they're going to suffer greatly and there's going to be difficult times rather than in the pleasures of the palace with all the fans being waved on them and them being taken care of. Application for today. If you and I go with the flow of the world, if, if, you, if you go with the flow of the world, they will love you. They will love you and they will call you their own. But if you dare disagree or, or, or call out the sin, they will fry you. They will fry you. They're your buddy. They're the person you work with. They're the person that's your neighbor. And and they'll go with you. But the minute you as a Christian stand up for your Christian beliefs and call out the sin, they will fry you. They'll call you a bigot. They'll call you a religious wingnut. You will be ostracized. But my friend, if that's you, take heart. This is where real Christian growth takes place. This this, This is where, man... This is where the the backbone grows. This is where you get solid in your faith. When you stand for what you believe in the face of opposition. That's that's, that's real growth, family. That that is real growth. And that, that is where, you know, we get nervous. We put ourselves in a situation where we're going against the flow. And there's only one place we can't go at that point, and that is to God. And say, Lord, I'm trusting in you. I'm living for you. You and I, my friend, are called to leave the old life behind and to pursue Christ with everything. I'm going to repeat that. You and I are called to leave the old life behind and pursue Christ with all we have. And my friend, it may cost you. 
It may, it may cost you greatly, but that is part of being a Christian. That is part of being a Christian. It's following Christ and following his word no matter what the cost. Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? It means the gospel of Jesus Christ calls you and I to forsake everything, to forsake our dreams, to forsake our goals, and to forsake our desires and follow him above all else. Why? Because he is our reward. He is our great reward seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, we don't go picking fights and, and causing storms and, 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 and picking fights unnecessary. But when it comes to a point in life where you're having a conversation with someone or, or you're at work and people ask you the question, where do you believe? What do you stand for? We need to say with confidence, you know, we believe in Jesus Christ. He is Lord, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave, that he is coming back again. You know, we've been able to be able to say with confidence in a spirit of love to stand for biblical truth, to stand for morals, to stand for beliefs. And I'm telling you, maybe you haven't done that yet, but, but, but once you go through that, man, it will strengthen your faith. It will strengthen your resolve in life where you look at your spouse and you say, honey, we're serving the Lord. Where you look at your family and you say, we are serving Christ because he is our great reward. Let Christ be the reward in life. Let, let him be the focus and the center point of your life. Finally, we look at the fourth element this morning. And the fourth element in verses 27 through 29 is this is how God uses Moses. We're going we're gonna to look um, here in Hebrews chapter 11. It gives us a summary of what happened back in Exodus. So how does, how does God use Moses? This, again, remember what Numbers chapter 12, 12 verse 7 called him? He was a servant. He, he, he wasn't this pompous leader. He was a servant in the family of God. But look at verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he persevered as though seeing him who is unseen. Scholars say and believe that Moses led an estimated 2.4 million Hebrews out of Egypt. Man, I was in logistics in the military, and our job was to move people move equipment, and, we, you know, I, was, I served during the, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, and we had to move a lot of people and a lot of equipment, and just moving a thousand people, a thousand men, and their, and their equipment was a very challenging job. But think about if we were given the assignment to move 2.4 million people out of a country, that would be like... That would be hard. I would, I would, as, as a logistician, that would be a very challenging task. So how did Moses do it? By faith. By faith in God. Moses had a real faith. A real faith when he won. Three things, according to verse 27. That real faith that he had 
that the Lord gave him helped him to leave Egypt, number one, to, 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 to depart from the continent of Africa and head into the Middle East. Number two, it says he did not fear the wrath of the king of Egypt. And we know from secular history that Egypt was one of the major world powers at that time. In our verse, in our study of Daniel on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about how Israel, one of their constant things that was going on is they were um, squeezed between two powerful nations, the Syrian nation and the, and the southern nation of Egypt. They were very, very powerful. But Moses and these band of Hebrews under Moses' leadership says, I'm not fearing them. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And how does he do that? If you look at the end of verse 27 in the NASB, it says, it says, through seeing him who is unseen. That is how my lotus station friend Moses led Israel out of Egypt. He did it by faith. You know, verse 27 is a, um, this is survival 101 for the Christian. Just, just, Verse 27 is survival 101 for the Christian. Number one, as a, as a believer in Christ today, you and I are called to leave Egypt. The, the word Egypt in the Bible is a, is, a, is a reference to the old life, the old way of thinking. And you and I are called to leave Egypt, to leave the old life behind and enter into the promised land of this relationship with Christ. So you and survival 101 is you and I have to leave Egypt. Number two, we don't fear the wrath of the king. We don't fear the opinion of man. We don't, we don't fear what the people may say because our goal and our hearts are to please the Lord, to please him above all else. And my, 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 my heart and my mind in serving Christ, not just pastoring the church, but my heart and mind and life and my personal Christian walk is, Lord, I want to please you first. I want to please you first. And then everything else will fall into place. But, but, but when there is a government edict or a law or a principle that goes against my Christian beliefs, hands up, Christian belief wins. Hands up, Christian belief stands true. So you and I leave Egypt. We do not fear the powers that be and the people that may criticize us because we follow Christ. And number three, as, as Moses did here in Hebrews eleven twenty-seven, if you look in your verse, it says, he, he saw him who is unseen. Meaning basically, he lived with an eternal perspective. You know, I'm living this life and, and, and our goal is to live old and have our great grandchildren sitting on our laps on the front porch one day. And, and I want to live a long life and, and serve him, but I'm not promised that. So what that forces me to do is to live my life with an eternal perspective, to live my life seeing him who is unseen and walking in his grace, walking in his truth, and walking in the shadow of his presence. That is faith. And that's what God calls you and I to do. Verse 28, what a monumental thing the Lord called Moses to do. But Moses wasn't sloppy. Moses was not sloppy, and neither should you and I. Look at verse 28. 
It says, by faith, he, Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch them. The evening before the Exodus, the evening before the Exodus, God instructed Israel to sacrifice the lamb and place that blood on the doorpost of their homes there in Egypt. And when the destroyer came through at midnight, he passed over the homes where the blood had been applied. Moses was not sloppy. He, understand, he understood propitiation. He understood the sacrifice. And Moses witnessed the power of the blood in the Passover. The death angel goes through there. If the blood was on the doorpost, they bypass and they killed the firstborn in Egypt. It was this event that changed Pharaoh's heart. And he finally came to a point and says, let those people go. <laughs> let them go. But God used this to, to, to move the people out of Israel. And Moses was not sloppy about it. He understood the sacrifice. He understood the, the propitiation. You know, he knew the power of the blood. And you and I today in 2020, we trust we trust and believe in the power of the blood, except it's a different blood. It's the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. His sacrifice there for us at Calvary. That sacrifice, that shedding of blood, it brings complete healing. It brings, it brings complete forgiveness. And it breaks every chain. It breaks every chain. That's the power of the cross. That it cleanses and forgives us and sets us free. And after that sacrifice on that next night, they took off and they, 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 they left for the promised land. Unfortunately, they didn't go straight to the promised land, but at least they were leaving. And they still had some lessons to learn there in the uh, wilderness. But he knew the power of the blood. There was a sacrifice that had to be made. You know, this, 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 um, the biblical doctrine of propitiation and, and forgiveness of sin by shedding of blood, it did not start with Jesus. It started in the very, very beginning of Genesis when, when the animal was, was sacrificed and Adam and Eve were clothed with animal skins. And we see it in the, uh, the temple sacrifices and the tabernacle sacrifices and the brazen altar and the bulls and the goats and the lambs. And we, we see it all throughout the Old Testament. And it culminates on a hill called Calvary where Christ shed his blood in you and I are going to enter the promised land one day because of his sacrifice. Amen. Amen. Our last verse for this morning, verse 29, it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as through, as through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, they were drowned. Wow. Can you imagine this? Moses raises his rod, the seas part, the land becomes dry. Where's, the, where's my picture at? The, uh, the sermon title picture? There it is. There's Moses at the bottom. He separates in a supernatural event. He separates the waters. He goes through on dry land. Not muggy land, not wet swamp, but it says on dry land. They passed through. And then what happens is the Egyptians come through. Those two walls said, 
took him down. This was a servant of God. And this servant of God, Moses, he experienced the power and the majesty of Almighty God. It wasn't some southwesterly wind, as the skeptics like to say, it was blowing across the sea. It wasn't some, some other skeptic, agnostic, well, there was a volcano in Turkey and it sent ash across the land and it just caused the waters just to part on this very moment. No, it was not. It was the supernatural hand of the creator of this universe reaching down and saying, Whoosh, come through my children. That's what took place. And Moses, this servant of God, got to witness that. I don't know about you, but if I were to witness that, I would have been shaking in my knees. I would have been like, wow, God, you're awesome. God is supernatural. And God uses servants to do supernatural things in this life for, his, for, for the honor and glory of Christ Jesus in serving people and witnessing to people and being the hands and feet of Christ to this world. I ask you this morning, my closing thoughts, do you want to have the heart of a servant? Do you want to have the heart of a servant? Is that your heart cry this morning? I want to serve. I, want, I, I, I know I'm a believer. I know I'm a Christian. And I, I, I'm working on this thing. But, Pastor, this morning you brought it to my attention. Man, I, 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 I like that. I want that. I want to have the heart of a servant. And friend, I'm not going to reinvent the will. I'm just going to share with you what the scripture is saying this morning. Number one, identify with him. Find your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Find your identity in his death, in his resurrection. And not your politics, not your family name, not your career, but Christian. Find your identity in Christ. Make him your very great reward. And this is what will happen when you have the heart of a servant. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go out and s split Lake Murray in two or because or, 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 that was a specific plan and purpose that God had for the children of Israel to take them out of Egypt in the promised land. But what I will say though, is he will use you to do great and mighty things for his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for this um, subject this morning, the blueprint of a servant. Father, I pray for the believers here, Lord, that, that you and, and those that are listening with open hearts, that you'll give us the heart of a servant. Help us to be like Moses, finding our identity in you, our reward in you, and, and our goal and aim in life to please you and not fear, this, not fear man and not fear the world, but love you and trust you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.